Pursuant to Governor Baker's March 12, 2020 order suspending certain provisions of the open meeting law, General Laws Chapter 30A, Section 18, and the Governor's March 15, 2020 order imposing strict limitations on the number of people that may gather in one place. This meeting of the City of Medford Energy and Environment Committee is being conducted via remote participation. No in-person attendance of members of the public will be permitted, but every effort will be made to ensure that the public can adequately access the proceedings as provided for in the order. Persons who would like to listen to or view this meeting while in progress may do so by assessing the link that was included on the meeting agenda posted on the City of Medford website. If despite our best efforts, we are not able to provide for real-time access, we will post a record of this meeting on the city's website in the near future at the link provided in the meeting agenda. And during all that, did we get any more members? No, not yet. Uh, maybe what we'll do is have you, Alicia, we, we won't, we'll review the minutes of the last meeting later. But maybe you can give us some administration. Well, maybe we can just uh, welcome members of the public who are joining. How about that? Okay, so um, we'll just, you know, very briefly, uh, people can say who they are and, you know, what their interest is in attending. So let's go with Kevin first. Kevin Bailey? Hi, how are you? Um, no, no, no. My name is Kevin. Um, I'm the uh, 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 the recreation director, and um, I just wanted to talk about the uh, this 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 uh, the city nature challenge this year. Um, it's going to be happening in May, and just wanted to talk about what the event is and the um, activities that we're looking to do this uh, this year to get um, to uh, promote the program. All right, well, look forward to that. Okay, let's go to Brett Hausler. I am Brett, um, moved here to Medford in September and just looking to get involved in, uh, in the city of Medford. And so I'm here to just observe, I suppose, this evening. So thank you for having me. Okay, by the way, Luke, while we're talking, maybe you could shoot an email to the remaining um, people that might join and see if they're in process, yes. Okay. Hold on. All right, and Sue Brown? Kathleen is having trouble logging in. She just texted me. Okay, um, that's promising. She's going to reboot and see if she can get in. Okay. Uh, Sue, are you on mute? You can take yourself off mute if you want and just introduce yourself. Or we can get back to you. Uh, Zach Gordon. Oh, uh, sorry. I'm on a computer without video, but um, I am in Medford for about three years now. Um, how can we get more involved in these kinds of efforts in some way? Um, so this is my second one of your meetings I've joined. And for this one in particular, I'm uh, quite interested to hear the summary of the uh, state climate bill. Um, so that was kind of okay. the key thing on the agenda. Very good. Aggie, and 
we, we know who you are, but you can introduce yourself anyway. Hi, Bob. Thanks. Yes, Aggie Tudin, 340 High Street, Medford, and I'm the uh, City of Medford Tree Warden. So hello, everyone. Happy snowstorm. Um, and I'm afraid I'm going without a video because my internet connection is not reliable, and I seem to do better with one or the other. So um, I will probably um, just the audio. But, uh, All right, that's, that works. Um, yeah, thank you for uh, joining us this evening, Aggie. My pleasure, Alicia. Although the the agenda item of the tree report will have to wait because Nicole was not able to join tonight, and she asked that we postpone that till the March meeting. Well, we maybe we could get our special guest to uh, she yeah, had right, to that's on true. that. Yeah. Although, yes, I, I would be very happy to speak with you, Aggie, at any time. <laughs> okay. So Kathleen is trying to join, and we don't know about Martha uh, John Rogers. I have sent an email to Martha and John Rogers, uh, just asking if they could join, but I don't have right. their. In the meantime, uh, maybe. Uh, Alicia, you could provide some administrative updates, the usual thing, which doesn't require a vote. Sure, I'm happy to. As we mentioned at the last Energy Committee meeting, um, we are, the graduate student who's been helping us, Amanda, is not available. Uh, sorry, Allie. Sorry, I, I have a lot of graduate students. Allie is not available on Monday nights. She's taking a class that meets Monday nights this semester. Um, but Nena is a graduate student at the Fletcher School, and she has been working with us on our climate efforts since last May. And she has actually volunteered to help out with the meeting, the minutes in the, the energy committee meetings um, this semester, um, which is particularly helpful. I don't know, Nena, would you like to just say a few words to introduce yourself to the committee? Yeah, I think you did a pretty good job, but as Alicia mentioned, I've been interning with the city since this last summer, and I've been helping with the development of the Climate Action and Adaptation Plan, and I'm just here helping Alicia out while, because Ali has class now on Mondays, I think, so I'm here to help. Okay. I guess the other really big administrative thing right now is that, um, as you had probably seen in the press, we had announced that we had hired an economic development director. He has actually started. He's working a lot on sort of development issues, land use work in the city, um, zoning stuff and talking to different real estate agents and developers. Um, I'm working very closely with him, um, but uh, we're very excited to have that role being filled in the city that is a new position for the city of Medford. And this is the start of his fourth week. He's actually worked three full weeks already, although he both, we both feel like he's been here like three months because um, he's been doing a lot. Um, I feel like that's the big administrative thing. There is, we had asked the mayor about um, uh, adding members to the committee and she's definitely interested in getting applicants and getting recommendations um, to do that. She's happy to appoint more members to the committee. Um, I think that she had been planning to do a push and advertise that there were a bunch of committees that needed space and that hasn't happened yet. Um, although I, I don't think it's happened. I'll say that I, I try to watch all the communications that come out from the city, but um, we've been trying to communicate a lot. So there's been a lot out there. 
Um, the other thing that's administratively of interest, but not truly on our agenda, is we're moving forward with the comprehensive plan. Um, we've been negotiating price with our top consultant choice. Uh, we're going to make a recommendation to the mayor. The committee is. We're going to meet with her on Wednesday. And hopefully we will be signing a contract by the end of this week to start work on a comprehensive plan for the city of Bedford. Um, and we've been applying for grants. We've been applying for a lot of grants. Um, the one we applied for today is there's a, in the shared use trail network under Route 28. So there's a boardwalk that connects Assembly Square. You can go under Route 28 and there's a boardwalk there on the Somerville side and we want to build the matching one. We have some grant funds from the Gaming Commission to do design and engineering. Today we submitted a grant application to Mass Trails um, to get that um, all the way through design and engineering. Um, we have also been working with the state to get it on their transportation improvement plan in order to have it funded, the construction funded with um, state or federal transportation money. And there is money that is earmarked specifically for shared use paths. And so they have deemed that, that is, this project is qualified for that. And so we do expect that that will be going on the state transportation improvement plan. But we still need to do pay for the design and engineering ourselves um, on that project. So that's the one that's in the top of my head because we just applied for and less relevant to this committee, but the grant that we, we this weekend received um, uh, economic development technical assistance grant. So the state will assign a, an economic development consultant to work with us on recovery issues. And Kathleen has texted me that she is her computer is trying to log in, but it is not doing very well. Uh, those what, are all the administrative. Comprehensive plan, can you, uh, uh, what's that all about again? So municipalities would have a master plan for their city that would talk about big picture. Um, usually there's like a 10 year action plan, but like a 30 year, there's like a vision and goals, and it looks at this, in Massachusetts, there's actually a state law that regulates these, although they happen all over the country. And they look at housing and economic development and land use and environmental um, attributes and historical issues and transportation and sort of all of these things, and also blending them all together and how they overlap. And there's traditionally a lot of public outreach to get input on these sorts of topics. Um, and the goal would be to have a, a big picture plan for your city so that when somebody says, I want to change this little zoning over here, or I want to build something over there, and it doesn't really fit in how you currently do things, you might say, well, how does that fit into our master plan? And how does that fit in the big picture? And how does it all interact together? And so the idea is that it's, it's a major undertaking to develop a master plan. Usually a community has one, and then every 10 to 15 years would update their master plan. Um, Medford does not have a master plan that anybody has been able to produce. I, I, I tend to caveat that because somebody could have written one 40 years ago. If so, I don't know it. 
Um, usually if something's more than like 30 years old, it's considered so far out of date that you're basically starting from scratch. Alicia, um, on that front, is the zoning redevelopment, and forgive me if you kind of touched on it and I didn't quite catch it, but uh, the zoning thinking that's been going on uh, geared towards a master plan or geared towards at least establishing a master plan approach? Right. So on their sort of, they're not separate, separate issues, but the zoning that's been going on has been a recodification, has basically been an understanding that Medford zoning has over time gotten out of sync with some of the state laws that it has gotten in some places out of sync with itself. You may have heard some of the arguments about, it says zoning says yes about this. No, zoning says no. Well, it says both literally and which one is right. Like that, that has sort of evolved over time. And so what's going on now is there is a very well-known zoning lawyer from the state of Massachusetts who is going through our zoning and sort of helping us reorganize it um, put everything in line. Like there are a few places where he's been, this is actually out of line with the state law. State law has been changed and zoning has been passed. You need to get things in order, um, help organize things. There are things that are sort of missing from our zoning that he's making recommendations on. You, you should cover this issue. You don't cover this at all because things, I mean, our zoning was created in 1964 and there hasn't actually been a major update to our zoning. There's only been minor updates since then. So that's sort of a getting it organized in clean effort and in line. Um, this would look at much more than just zoning, but would also look at big picture, would look at things like this zoning district over here made sense when the rail line that came through was a freight train and with a stop in Medford. But now that it's a commuter rail, it, it doesn't make sense to have an industrial zone in the middle of this residential zone. That's the kind of thing that um, that this plan might look at, sort of the more big picture as well, or you know your height limitations, or do you allow this, or you know like, or all your lots are three thousand square feet, but your zoning requires five thousand. Does that really make sense? That I don't know if that's true or not. It's just sort of like they would look more big, big picture about. Right. Does that really answer your question? Yeah, and uh, I'm familiar with the consultant who was working on, with you on some zoning. I'm just curious if that's still ongoing as well. Um, are you talking about Attorney Brabowski? Okay, no. so Linnean consultant has been working with us on the climate work. Yeah. So they did uh, helped us with our climate vulnerability assessment assessment. And actually, Nena is working very closely with Linnaean on um, our climate action and adaptation plan. Great. And it may very well, I think it, Nena could tell me, it probably does have some recommendations around zoning things. Um, yeah. But it's not just a zoning document. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Okay, uh, why don't we... Uh, Maybe we'll come back to the review of the minutes if we get a quorum. Let's go on to, uh, Elise, you wanted to talk about an event happening in late April. That's why I have Kevin. Kevin is our recreation director. And I asked him, so I 
cannot tell you if I think that we've perhaps over the years discussed city nature challenge some years, but it has certainly been at least two years since we've had a conversation with it. And I know we have new members of the committee since then. And um, I thought that it would make sense for Kevin to talk about it because he is really familiar with what the city is planning this year. So Kevin, you may want to explain to them what it is because not everybody on the call is familiar <laughs> yeah. with it, although some are. Um, and then sort of what's the city doing? I thought this group might be particularly interested and there might be some opportunities for them to help out. Yeah. Um, so the City Nature Challenge uh, started several years ago um, um, in LA. It was uh, through a natural history museum um, and, and um, that wanted to collect information um, on different animals and species that are um, that live in in this in this in this in this in the city. Um, so what they created was an app. Uh, it's an iNaturalist app, and um, basically uh, anyone can go in, download the iNaturalist app, and take pictures. Once they take pictures, a team of experts will actually look at those pictures and identify what type of species that is, or if it's a plant. Um, and they'll identify it, just really trying to figure out what uh, lives among us um, uh, um, in the city. So Method has been doing it for a few years. Um, the uh, Friends of the Fells and the Student of the Fells particularly have, have been really spearheading a lot of this. Um, actually, one of the Method High students, I was just told last week, um, was actually number one for taking uh, the most amount of pictures on that iNaturalist app. So um, we do have some people really heavily participating in this over the years. Uh, for the Method Recreation Department, uh, we didn't do anything last year with COVID, um, but the year before that, we uh, tried to help just promote some of the um, information and we did uh, a nature hike up at Wright's Pond. Uh, if you're familiar with Wright's Pond, there is a hiking trail that the, that the Boy Scouts maintain and uh, we want to also promote that hiking trail as well. So we thought it was a really great way of um, promoting that trail, but also to promote a city nature challenge. So what the city nature challenge really is, it's uh, just three days where they're challenging multiple uh, cities and towns that participate. And you want to collect as much information as possible to get people out there to take pictures, to take pictures of the photos, and so people can identify it. So it's a three-day challenge where other cities and towns will compete with one another. And this year we want to really expand to not just doing one hike up at Wright's Pond, but to do a couple of them. And uh, not just you're looking at the recreation department, but we're looking at other, um, other people in the community to help run uh, this program. So for the recreation department, we are planning on doing two nature hikes, uh, one on a Friday, um, that's uh, April 30th, and the other one is Monday, May 3rd, uh, again, up at Wright's Pond. But we also uh, are going to be working with um, uh, the student of the Fells. They're looking to do uh, a couple as, as part of a class to be doing hikes up at um, behind the high school to take pictures there. And also the CCSR students might also uh, run a couple of hikes over that weekend. Um, might be more along the Condon Shell area. We haven't really uh, narrowed down what that walk would look like, but we're trying to do several walks um, to promote that program. What we're looking at as for a city is just to promote 
all the different nature hikes that you can do, not just through the rec department, but with the Friends of the Fells, the Student of the Fells, and um, with CCSR. Um, we are going to take into uh, the Boston area, so it will be the City Nature Challenge, and then in the logo will be uh, the Boston area that will uh, really help push and market. No one has to go through the hikes if somebody doesn't want to participate in the actual walks, but want to take that weekend, go for a walk themselves and take pictures. That's perfectly fine too. So that's the other part of the marketing pitch. So what we're trying to do as a city to, and um, the commitment that we have from the, the mayor's office is to really help publicize this nature challenge. Um, it is going to be in our recreation program book, but we talked about putting it up on our billboard uh, on the reach screens that are in the square, uh, social media, but really try to push the City Nature Challenge with Medford. It will be an organization so anyone can download the app. We'll uh, put the clear directions how to download the app, different ways they can participate. Um, and then uh, we'll show them different ways that they can um, attend the walks or if they want to do it on, if they, if they want to do it by themselves. So that's really our goal right now is just to really push and market the program itself in ways people can participate. I will uh, just voice my support. I think iNaturalist is a fantastic program and we've enjoyed going uh, uh, on those hikes. And submitting those photos to. Uh, how are you gonna deal with the, the COVID issue with these hikes? So the, um, the City Nature Challenge did say that they were gonna put out COVID uh, restrictions and, and rules in, in place. Uh, for us, it will probably be the same as all of our other programs, pre-registration required, if they're gonna attend the hikes with us. Um, we will of course help CCSR if they are gonna be doing the hike uh, marketing that location, but maybe doing the pre-registration with us as well. Um, usually we just do a small group of 10, we space out, require them to wear a mask. Um, so we'll certainly help out any other group or organization that wants to do hikes in addition to it. Right. One other comment, uh, either was this for this committee or was the um, Mr. River Watershed Association, we were working with Wegmans to document walks in Medford. And uh, I know they have, they had a passport program and we, we documented paths, walking, walking um, tours, and uh, maybe that's relevant, maybe not, but I'll have to dig that up. Yeah, no, that'd be great. Thank you. Mm -hmm. there, Listen, you want, to do want to take a second to just mention that Kathleen has joined us. She's on her phone. Kathleen, can you confirm that you can unmute yourself using star six? If, if it turns out not to, you can always text me and I can unmute you as needed. Although it's hard to be on the phone, and there's one second. I am here. Great. You made us attain the forum. And John <laughs> Rogers may also be joining us in a short okay. bit. And Sorry. Sam I didn't want to interrupt this. 
when we get to his part. Um, all right, so we'll have to, uh, maybe next month we'll have a, another uh, update on this issue, but feel free to send uh, emails about how to how we can help with this challenge. Kevin, our um, activities, I think that I'm, I think I noticed that the winter, late winter rec guide came out. So would activities that are organized for this be in like a spring recreation guide? And is there yeah. a timeline for that if one wanted yep. to be in a spring guide? Actually, that's what I'm working on right now. <laughs> um, we are going to do a spring and summer book. Uh, right now, I need it to the publishers probably the first week of April. And we're looking to start some of our registration mid-April. So um, I need to get the, uh, the printers at least a week or two uh, to get it out. Um, but it will be in the spring and summer book. Uh, and usually we make about 2,000 copies. So we'll put it um, in different city buildings, uh, different restaurants, uh, to try to get the word out there. And are you expecting that if like groups organized hikes for the city nature challenge that you would have a, a spot in there where you you would list all the ones that are in Medford. Correct. So I have a, a full one page explaining what the city nature challenge is. Um, right now I just have uh, the, uh, the hikes with method recreation, but I want to add the ones to CCSR, the student of the files, friends of the files, or uh, any other organization that does want to help with this uh, walk. And then there's just directions on how to, on, on how, on how, how to download the app. Great. Just thought I'd mention it in case like, say the committee wanted to pick a, a date and a time and a location and organize something that would be something that people could do. And, and given COVID, you actually wouldn't want everybody from a particular committee to go on the hike. You would want one or two people to lead it and then have members of the public go on the hike, right? Wouldn't that be more the, the goal? Yeah, so if the more hikes, the better, of course, um, because as I said, um, if other groups are going to be participating in this, we would support them by having a, a pre-registration, but again, breaking down to only 10 people. So uh, the more hikes that we have, the more organizations willing to do a, uh, a nature walk or a hike um, during, the, during that week would make a big difference for us. Okay, so keep us informed. Uh, we'll have another uh, topic at uh, the March 1 meeting uh, to further discuss this. Great, thank you. Uh, let's see. Uh, why don't we circle back to do a quick uh, review of the minutes of January 4th. Uh, yeah, sent, uh, sorry? I was just going to say John Rogers has also joined us. So we oh, John we're Rogers. now overquoted. Yay. All right, John and <laughs> Kathleen, we waited to look at the minutes till you were able to join us. Thank you. And uh, is there any discussion, um, editorial comments on the minutes? If not, no, I, I didn't have anything. I'm sorry? This she is Kathleen. I'm just saying I don't have anything in case okay, you already spoke you. to the others. <laughs> All right. I will entertain a motion to accept the minutes as uh, written. 
Motion to accept the minutes as written. Okay, I'll second that. And so let's, I'll go through the roll call to say yes, if you accept them. Luke. Yes, I accept. Marpain, yes. Barry. Yes. Kathleen. Yes. John. You're unmuted. Mm -hmm. Sorry about that. Yes. Dave. Yes. Jessica. Yep. Okay. Unanimously accepted. All right. Uh, while we have Aggie here, Aggie, if you want to say anything about um, Medford Trees, and, you know, take five minutes or so, we'll uh, let you discuss any any status updates or great uh, happenings for this year. Oh, well, thank you for that, Bob. <laughs> I would have prepared something had I known, but um, I guess our big concern this evening is with the storm which of course, you know, it could be, it could have a big impact on us, but uh, the word so far uh, from my end is doing well so far. The winds aren't, aren't uh, hitting the peaks that they were predicting. So um, let's hope for the best. Um, it's spite of COVID, we had a very busy season this year. We planted, um, uh, planted trees and had events and um, uh, not large public events like we usually do, but we, we did have a lot of progress we were successful in getting some grants together and uh, the city was able to give, to provide um, grants with CPC funds and other funds um, to help, you know, protect and promote our trees, which is great. Um, we just su submitted our application for Tree City USA, which uh, we uh, suspect we will be awarded again for our 23rd year. So that's quite an honor. Um, we do hope to have an Arbor Day event this April. It's the last Friday in April. Um, it's the, it's the uh, official Arbor Day from the U.S. from the um, Arbor Day Foundation. We're not quite sure what that will look like because of COVID, but uh, we're hoping that we have um, events at, at um, possibly a couple of the parks uh, to do some tree planting with uh, CPC funds, which are fabulous. And... Um, <laughs> possibly involve some students from the high school and uh, Girl Scouts, the volunteer group Trees Medford, which has been extremely active this year in spite of COVID um, and others. So I guess uh, that's, that's, I'll leave it with that. Thanks spring, Arbor Day will come and um, we're looking forward to another good year with our um, tree canopy. And I'm, I'm sorry that uh, we won't be discussing the, um, the uh, Nicole's, uh, um, I tonight because she was unable to join us, I understand. And um, I suspect that means the committee won't be reporting tonight either. Is that correct? The tree subcommittee doesn't have any significant updates for this. Oh, okay. The tree subcommittee will be, uh, will be on the agenda later this meeting for saying what they want to say. Okay, great. Um, All right. And, uh, you you mentioned the last Friday in April, which happens to be one of the dates for the City Nature Challenge. Maybe there can be some sort of, you know, uh, merger of these uh, events. It's possible. We, we, in springtime, we have a lot of overlap um, with uh, various um, 
uh, Earth Day and Arbor Day and, and nature events and river events and uh, all sorts of springtime celebrations. So I think there'll be uh, lots of us out and about around those weeks at the end of um, April, early May, doing great outdoor and environmental activities. Okay, especially for people who want to document what kind of trees Medford has. Uh, any, any, if there's a special tour that, that gets into a lot of trees, I'm sure there's lots of those, but maybe there's a very unique one. You might talk with uh, Kevin Bailey on that one. Uh, could be uh, a unique. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm losing my audio a bit, but in, in terms of tree ID, there are fabulous um, locations that we could yeah. do tours around Medford. Um, I think Alicia would agree that Duggar Park is now one of them because we've recently planted over the last two years through a grant, we were able to plant, I think we're up to 44 trees um, at Duggar Park, which is of course along the Mystic River and the Arlington line. Um, we've done some fabulous improvements. So we have a huge variety of trees over there. Uh, evergreens, deciduous trees, uh, flowering ornamentals, large shade trees. So that Duggar Park alone is the first thing that comes to mind for a great variety of trees in one uh, location where people could really um, uh, get involved with ID of, uh, of city trees. All right, excellent. Well, thank you very much, Aggie. Thanks, Bob. That's All great. Right. And you know what? I'm just going to tell you guys, because you guys are aware of that old oil spill that occurred in the Mystic River many years ago. It was a big deal, the tanker. Tree planting that Aggie is referring to at Duggar Park is part of how we spent the money that the city was awarded from that oil spill um, that happened about eight years or so ago. Great. Right. Good job on that, Alicia. Oh, thank you for planting all those trees. <laughs> <laughs> the grant writing is more challenging than our trees, believe me. <laughs> <laughs> it's thank all you. in the perspective. It's <laughs> Yes, All right. Um, we've come to the point in the program where I'm going to summarize the uh, the climate bill. So let's see if I can share my screen and find that. Okay, here we are. Let's see. I'm going to go to slideshow. All right. Uh, can you see this? Yes. Presentation. All right. Uh, yes. I've unashamedly uh, adapted the content, but I give a, a link to uh, where I got the content from. Basically, uh, there's going to be, uh, if this gets enacted, uh, aggressive emission limits on greenhouse gases updated every five years. Um, basically, changing the state law to require Massachusetts to set these emission targets and require the governor to create and release comprehensive, clear and specific plans and reports, basically roadmaps that outline how the state will meet these five-year goals and require regulations to achieve these roadmaps. Uh, sector by sector sublimits, and this would be interesting because not only would there be an overall limit, but there would be potentially um, restrictions on specific uh, categories. 
such as in the sectors of the third bullet, electric power, transportation, commercial and industrial heating and cooling, residential heating and cooling, industrial processes and natural gas distribution and service. Now that, that would be a lot of um, bean counting and it would take a lot of effort. So we'll see um, how this would work, but there would be quite a lot of restrictions. I don't know if one could offset the other possibly, but um, that's part of the, uh, the bill. Then we have uh, numerical benchmarks for the adoption of electric vehicles, charging stations, solar technology, energy storage, heat pumps, digesters, other, other clean technology solutions. So that goes along with the roadmaps uh, to align with it as, as you'd expect with the new limits and sublimits. Um, a net zero emissions goal for 2050 um, would make legally binding the, uh, this greenhouse gas limit. Um, the previous target was 85% reductions by 2050 from the 1990 levels. Uh, so this would be more uh, aggressive. Um, now we are at uh, relative to 1990 levels by 2020 at 25% reduction and the bill would require an additional 25%. And that is what we've done in the last 30 years would have to be done in each of the next 10 years to get the 50% reduction by 2030, 75% by 2040, and 100% by 2050. So that's gonna be a real game changer. Uh, Governor Baker said, well, let's get the least 45% by 2030, assuming well to get from, you know, 25% over 30 years, another 25% by in the next 10 years, he, he wanted to go 20% more, but this goes 25% more. codifies environmental justice into Massachusetts law to define the environmental justice populations. And there are some definitions from EPA. I don't know if they would be modified, but there'd be new tools, protections, and public input for these communities. And the roadmaps would have to explicitly include ways that state could improve or mitigate um, the impacts of economic, environmental, and public health on environmental justice populations and low and moderate income individuals. Now towns could adopt local debt zero stretch codes. Um, municipalities would have the option to opt in. De for example, decarbonizing new buildings. And for example, the, the library is such one of, one of, one of those such buildings. Uh, and to adopt local bans on new fossil fuel construction. Uh, for example, Brookline attempted to do this in 2019, but the attorney general said you couldn't do it because there's no state law that requires it, but this would be a state law. And therefore cities could then uh, adopt such local bans on um, uh, whatever, you know, decarbonizing uh, and, and things like that. New energy efficiency goals uh, would align mass safe plans with the climate policy goals and set an appliance efficiency standard according to precedent set in 
California and likely future federal standards uh, with the Biden administration. Establish clean energy goals uh, by increasing. Uh, now, of course, we have this uh, Cape Wind. I mean, there would be more offshore wind development for sure. Uh, raising the renewable energy portfolio standard 3% each year um, starting in 2025. And that would ensure uh, that at least 40% of the state's electric power comes from renewables in 10 years, which you sort of need that to get to this 25% more reduction from 1990. Uh, prioritize low-income communities in the SMART program, which is that solar uh, community solar, um, and allow low-income individuals to a low end uh, in these solar programs without signing complicated contracts, um, establishing new solar energy grant programs for nonprofits, working to address food insecurity and homelessness. Utility reforms, uh, climate would be actually incorporated into the Department of Public Utilities mandate. Right, right now it's not. Uh, would would uh, allocate $12 million toward clean energy workforce development and jobs and reform natural gas safety standards and fines. We've been always wondering about gas leaks and now the state would, would have to investigate and publish all written gas service complaints and set interim targets requiring companies to reduce gas leak rates. Other provisions, and this is the last slide, uh, promote and protect natural and working lands, uh, sort of like um, more trees. So that this sort of in, uh, has some uh, tie-in to the, uh, the, 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 you know, the tree canopy subcommittee in, in some ways, which obviously more trees increases carbon sequestration. Uh, utilities could go after some uh, different type of thermal uh, technologies such as uh, geothermal to replace the use of natural gas. And the basic issue is to try to reduce um, natural gas. And you know, decarbonizing buildings means to have different heating and cooling technologies that get away from uh, fossil fuels and that would be electricity, especially if the electricity is um, renewable energy electricity. Gives incentives to some other uh, technologies such as hydrogen energy and fuel cells. So that is my uh, basically plagiarized but summarized summary of the, uh, the bill. That would be quite a game changer. Uh, I'll open it up to any suggestions, any any discussion, but I pretty much only only know what I've just said. So, but I think that would re really invigorate our committee activity if this all happened. And, and Alicia would be very busy. Thank you, Bob. I think that was a good summary. Um, it does bring up uh, the the point that the governor did not pass this uh, at this time. And we hope that it will be reintroduced perhaps um, with some, um, uh, whatever modifications may be necessary, but it does bring up the point also that with the Biden administration's interest in this, uh, that there might be 
more coming nationally. Barry's got his hand up. Barry's holding yeah. his hand up, literally. Yeah, it, it has um, been reintroduced with no changes at all. And um, it is believed that there are the votes to override the governor's veto. Uh, actually, that there are easily the votes to override the governor's veto. Um, and one piece of the presentation, I just want to, um, I, I can't, overstate how important the increase in the renewable portfolio standard is, that electrification of anything is totally meaningless if the grid isn't green. Um, if you're producing electricity with fossil fuels, then converting to electricity does not do anything to alleviate greenhouse gas production. And so, that is like central and foundational to anything that we do. And, and I think that that's a, a really great step. And actually, if you, you don't mind if I expand on one of the points, sort of along the lines of what Barry is saying, one of the things that are in there is something that, frankly, I thought was crazy talk when I first heard it. Um, but we've now, there have been a number of communities and have been meeting periodically with MAPC and um, National Grid actually around this particular idea. And that is the piloting renewable thermal technology to replace the use of natural gas. And so what this is, is the idea of, if you picture a campus, so for example, MIT has a steam plant and makes steam and sends steam out in steam tunnels. It's district energy to the buildings. So many buildings, and I happen to be very familiar with MIT's physical plant from my background. Um, so many buildings there have no heating system in the building locally, right? There's no boiler or anything in it or furnace because it just has steam pipes that come through the central plant. So one of the ideas that is being looked at and piloted is actually doing that with forced hot water on a regional basis with the idea that you could take infrastructure that has been used yeah. for natural gases. Um, do you mind? I'm in a meeting right now. Um, so that infrastructure that could be used um, for natural gas and um, put hot water in it. And you could use companies like National Grid who understand how to distribute, how to run this distribution system. And instead of having them distribute a fossil fuel, you have them distribute just the hot water. If a hot water pipe leaks, you get mud, not dead trees. In fact, you might water some trees or something, right? There are other problems. But you could reuse infrastructure that exists they understand how to run systems like this. And you could have central plants that much more efficiently make and distribute the hot water to replace the hot water systems and not be um, burning nat um, natural gas or even using electricity in buildings. Um, so there are a whole bunch of people who have been talking about this and meeting about this, and they are looking at some pilots, even in Massachusetts communities, Right now, the DPU is looking for Massachusetts communities to pilot this idea. Yeah, Barry? Uh, I, I don't want to blow the idea away. I mean, I think that um, I don't know enough about it to actually 
criticize it, but I've got to say that my instinct is really skeptical, not because of the technology, but because it sounds like a bailout of National Grid to me. Like, how do we save this company and allow them to continue to use their infrastructure and continue to keep them in business? And so I've, I've got to be convinced that this is really an effective way to do anything and, other than funnel profits to a company. And part of the idea is that the fossil fuel industry are extremely wealthy lobbying organizations. And yeah. if they were actually on board with the decarbonization, it would move a heck of a lot faster than if they were fighting it. So I wouldn't call it a bailout so much as trying to get them to switch sides of the table. Um, yeah, okay, well. <laughs> I, I'd want to look at it from a pure technological and economic point of view. And, um, and, and yeah. I could probably, um, heat, you're probably familiar with Heat MA. Um, the, they are, uh, I think, the repository for a lot of the uh, information on it. I could um, send you some information. Because I frankly thought it was impossible. H-E-E-T, you mean? H-E-E-T, yeah. Yeah, they're very closely tied to the utility company. So um, they're not a bad source of information, but it's, it's grain of salt information. Okay. Uh, uh, I'll just add that what Barry said is that um, I think there's a lot of hope from the environmental perspective that nobody changes stuff to give in to the governor, that they just override his veto. Mm -hmm. And the things, things can always be made better, but if you are constantly striving for perfection, you'll never pass anything. Um, this is one of the most dramatic climate bills that Massachusetts has seen possibly since the Green Communities Act in the mid 2000s. So. All right, well, we'll see how that works out. Let's see, uh, Sam, I'll uh, give the floor to you to discuss any updates on the Tufts Energy Conference. Thank you very much. Um, it's been a while, but um, since the last time school was in session, um, the plan was still to have the conference at the end of February. Um, unfortunately, the content team is still I'm trying to organize all of the speakers for each of the topics. And so they pushed the dates back to March 11th through the 13th. Um, and pretty much right after that, they found, or we all got the announcement that the MIT conference is on the same weekend. Um, and so there's a while where they believe that maybe um, changing the dates would be best. Um, but changing the dates on a lot of the speakers again was um, not going to work out. And so currently the dates are still the 11th through the 13th. Um, it'll be a little um, interesting to see how that competes with MIT. Um, and we don't have all of the speakers um, fully signed up right now. Still trying to organize with uh, the new dates and finding replacements for those that these dates wouldn't work. But we do have a list of the topics as of right now. Um, and it's a mix of policy and technology. Um, and they're hoping to 
have um, a couple different formats that aren't strictly just a speaker um, and the audience listening, but I do have the list of topics now um, and I can't share my screen, but um, a lot of them are, uh, I can just run through the, um, them pretty quickly. So for the technologies, we have um, going nuclear, advancements in the outsider energy, and then we also have hydrogen versus electric vehicles. And we also are focusing on hydropower and addressing its challenges with new technologies. Um, and I'll reiterate that the general theme for the conference is tipping points. Um, and they're looking at basically analyzing different sectors of climate change and looking at what kind of tipping points that we are facing um, in which different um, outcomes uh, that we're, we're currently dealing with um, how, and what their dramatic effects are. Um, and for the policy topics, we have boosting employment and American offshore wind, solar energy and equality, balancing access, innovation and environmental justice, China's transition, drivers and inhibitors for 2060, the architects of green policy, pathway builders, private and public perspectives on the roadmap for 2050. And then finally, the human cost of clean energy, a humanist perspective. So right now, things are still in the air as they are trying to secure all of the speakers. Um, and I'll be happy to update with the specific speakers once um, we have confirmation on that. You could email out the um, when you have a more concrete list. What what do you think would be the uh, the cost to uh, attend the conference? Um, they're still looking at that because currently they're trying to um, get Pathable, which is a virtual platform. Um, and so once they have um, sort of an agreement with how that'll work. Um, they'll better know what the ticket cost will be, but I, I do think it'll be very low um, considering it's all virtual. Yeah, don't have to provide food and drink. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, so we'll be interested in that and we'll probably want to um, uh, support the uh, publicity on that, especially for Medford residents. Uh, and so... Uh, uh, we'll have well, more more on uh, by next month, but we'll have to start that process before then. Uh, well, I'll work with the rest of the committee too. And, and further information when, once you have it for us, Sam. Yeah, Any, I'll update uh, you comments as soon as possible. On, on that? At least you have any comments on how uh, that makes sense? Uh, and if when you have materials that we can share like we're happy to share stuff on our facebook instagram twitter um we can put stuff on our web page but i would say that our web page tends to be a very static web page not news driven um we're we'd be happy to partner i think we could do like a joint press release you know kind of thing that we could come out from the city there's something um about what is going on that the city's energy committee is supporting this effort or recommends it or whatever um, that especially if you could help with 
like the language, the details, exactly what goes in it. Um, but if you do have like Facebook blurbs with links, you know, um, Instagram images that you want to send us, um, I have some staff that particularly staff our Facebook and our Go Green Media, Go Green Medford Media channels that we can put it out on as well. Thank you. I'll uh, reach out to the marketing team and see what they have prepared and uh, get back okay. to you as soon as I can. Yeah. All right. That will be great. Um, all right. We've come to the subcommittee reports part of the meeting. And we will start with uh, the solar energy uh, subcommittee. And I'll give that to Barry. The Promoting Solar Equity subcommittee. <laughs> um, uh, very briefly, um, we, we met and we talked about um, three general goals for the year. One is to take the education that we've done internally and figure out how to bring it to the broader community, uh, both regard, regarding uh, marketers of, of supply and around solar options. Um, the second being how to um, build on our success with um, solar roofs on commercial properties in order to pursue public um, and low income benefits. And third is uh, monitoring changes in federal and state policy for opportunities that might come along. Did I miss anything, Luke, Bob? I think that matches with what I have. Okay. Thank you. And I think if the uh, that bill passes in, in Massachusetts, we might, you know, try to see what's going to happen with regard to the provisions of the bill on uh, promoting solar equity. So that we're going to follow that that bill very carefully because it, it might make things much easier for individuals to to get into community solar with with less complicated contractual issues that, that exist right now. Any other any comments or questions by others for the uh, going to do this for all the groups for this subcommittee? I don't think there is currently this year any statewide incentive programs that used to happen like Solarize Mass or anything. Alicia, do you know of anything that's uh, unique this year for promoting solar? I don't know that they're not running Solarize this year. Um, we typically haven't applied because um, as most of you are aware, you need to have a resident um, volunteer who will serve as the solar coach who is willing to do 10 hours a week, maybe it was 20 hours, Kathleen would remember better than me, of volunteer work to move it forward. And we've never been able to identify anybody since the year that um, uh, Kathleen did it to be that solar coach, um, to put that much 
significant time and energy into running the program on behalf of the city. I have talked several times with the state about changing the program so that it doesn't have such a heavy volunteer lift, which really, I think, if anybody was to look at the inequities of it, the communities that have the ability to, to have somebody volunteer that amount of time tend to be wealthier communities that have people with that kind of time on their hands and willingness to put it into something like this. Um, that, yeah, that, that has sort of been our limiting factor. Um, Dave, I know your company has been involved with that. Do you happen to know if they're running, if the state's running Solarize this year? I just assumed they were. I haven't. Alicia, was that to me? Yeah. Do you know, I know Cadmus has been really involved with that in the past. That's, I'm actually not involved with that, but I could check. I just thought you might know like, oh yeah, my coworker's working on it. But uh, no, no I'd, I'd have to find out. I know that we've been supporting um, in the past, but I don't know what the status is this year. Yeah, we could find out from the Clean Energy Center. I yeah, I, the Mass CEC is currently not running Solarize for 2021, is what it says on the Solarize. I wonder if that's pandemic or because of lack of, it, like, or if there's, like, lack of interest or... And I do know that they we've been running into hats as well. Sorry? They don't mention the reasoning. but Right. Yeah. I mean, there are some significant, like, businesses who want to do large solar in Medford. You, the, the net metering cap is full and has been for a long time. Um, it was actually full for, um, for everybody. And luckily, they split off the public cap and then some Luckily for us, projects fell through. So we have net metering allocated for the library and for DPW. Um, but like if you were a business and you wanted to put solar on your building right now, you couldn't get net metering. And I actually just had a business a business's consultant say to me, well, we could do an assessment, but the um, smart cap is full for this area. Um, so they weren't even really willing to do a solar assessment for a large business in Medford um, because the funding is all, like the, the state program is full. Um, so that's some of the problems that we have are regulatory and funding in moving some of these forward. Okay, any other discussion on solar? If not, we'll go on to the tree and urban canopy management subcommittee. Well, hi. <laughs> um, uh, my subcommittee co-members are not present tonight, unfortunately. Uh, Loretta and Martha aren't able to join in. Um, and we were not able to gather uh, this month. Uh, so I don't have any specific updates. The discussions that I have had in the past with Loretta on the uh, treat subcommittee are essentially to continue to promote educational opportunities uh, to the community regarding the recommendations that we put into the tree report. Um, as you guys know, we did do that one uh, session with Tufts. Um, and so along similar lines, we could continue to 
promote that information and expand it into other areas as well. Um, uh, I'm sure that Loretta would have some additional comments, but I don't have uh, more than that at this time. All right, next month, uh, that'll be a topic. And then you might want to think about what to do about any Arbor Day things or if, if there's any issues with the uh, nature challenge on uh, identifying three species. So, um, so uh, you know, you have some things to look forward to. Any comments for the uh, the tree subcommittee? If not, we'll go on to building energy management. I can I can jump in there give a give a little update. Um, so, BEM subcommittee was able to to meet and discuss some some things. Um, so generally, uh, the building energy management subcommittee is uh, mandate is to connect residents with existing educational materials and promotions to promote energy efficiency, uh, especially supporting uh, our low income and uh, affordable housing residents. Um, encourage energy focus um, in large building design review, um, promote energy reporting ordinance, um, and coordinating with the education committees, the, the uh, uh, available materials. So some of the things we, we discussed on the call uh, earlier this month were content curation. Um, there were the idea of uh, identifying different user groups uh, building types and their top concerns regarding energy efficiency, and then matching them to available programs, um, such as in a simple table. So you could click, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a renter and I live in a three flat. Uh, what can I do? Another discussion was around curating or possibly developing a set of simple presentations uh, geared to Medford users on, say, passive house basics um, or to residential, um, what you can do other than gut rehab. Uh, and another is to, to link to mass save programs and other uh, DOEE programs. Another topic was uh, for BEM subcommittee members to act as subject matter export, experts uh, to support the city during uh, project review processes. This is something that came up during the discussion with the mayor. Uh, so just having a targeted kind of like Luke did with the, uh, uh, the library and the police station to help ask the right questions. Uh, maybe developing a set of top questions for city officials to ask uh, an owner's rep uh, about energy management, that, that specific discipline if, if that's not there. Um, and then also to expand project review, there was some discussion beyond just energy. Um, so water efficiency, indoor air quality, open space, climate resilience, like flood and extreme heat. Um, so it's not just the, the energy focus in that, you know, that could reach certainly across the group. Uh, and then the last was on 
the uh, building emissions performance standards and building energy reporting ordinance, uh, such as the, the Boston Birdo and the I think a Cambridge BEUDO. -E um, so rather than, Luke, you, you probably put it best uh, to keep it simple. Uh, so not to, not to overburden if there's not, uh, if there's not buy-in from, from city departments, especially the building department, maybe part of the, the, the thrust is to help build buy-in rather than putting something new and burdensome. Um, out there. Um, did I miss anything? Jessica, any additional thoughts? I think we'd obviously have to narrow the list down, but yeah. I think that kind of covered it. Um, one of, yeah, I think, I mean, there's definitely synergies to be worked with the education committee as well, but I think that's all of our committees. Thank you, Dave. I think that was great. Sure thing. That was good. And if the climate bill passes, there may be uh, elements of that that, that affect uh, building energy management. But I was, uh, yeah, I was interested also in the, the indoor air pollution issue is very important because obviously, especially this time of year, we spend most of our time indoors, I guess. And uh, so a lot of our uh, day, even in the summer is indoors, uh, but there's only outdoor air quality standards. There's no real indoor air quality standards because of course there's privacy issues, but are there ways to advise Medford residents to help improve their indoor air quality without being intrusive, uh, so that would that would be an interesting, uh, uh, you know, benefit of anything that this committee could, subcommittee could come up with. Um, so that that's good. Anything else on for the building energy committee? I don't, Kathleen. I don't know if you had anything. So we're missing Loretta and uh, Martha, but right. hopefully we've captured most. I, sorry, I didn't have anything. Uh, I got pretty busy towards the end, so uh, I've like been able to keep up with everyone's comments. Um, yeah, it would be cool to... Um, we talked about the idea of having it it also goes with the education to do some sort of video i don't i don't know if folks have ideas of people that have maybe done retrofits in their house and i don't know if we don't have um someone that's done up their entire house um completely maybe they've done parts of it um we can link those type of videos together. I'm thinking of one, one friend there outside Massachusetts, but they just built uh, a new house. So I don't know. I might reach out to them to see what kind of things they put in their house. Um, I don't know. That's just an idea. 
Excellent. Okay. Let's see. Uh, for the transportation management, I'm going to share another presentation if I could find it here. There we are. I had to pare this down. I had a long uh, appendix, but anyway, this is uh, me, Barry, and Martha. Um, now, it turns out, oddly enough, in Massachusetts, that transportation emissions are one of the biggest categories for greenhouse gas emissions. It's electric. There's no more coal firing in Massachusetts that I know of. So that that sector has gone down quite a bit, but it's just the traffic. Um, uh, and uh, of course there's been a big drop this year. It's been an interesting uh, experiment, involuntary <laughs> experiment. But imagine that in 20 years, it may be difficult to even purchase a new gas or diesel fueled vehicle. Uh, for example, GM announced just within the week that they will only sell electric cars by 2035. And other major uh, automakers have made similar announcements, I think Volkswagen, et cetera. So now in urban areas, these types of vehicles without emitting uh, you know, exhaust with pollutants will greatly improve local air quality, we, we believe, especially in environmental justice areas because that, those are areas next to the big highways. And, and generally, if, I know from air quality experience that if you're within, let's say 100 meters or 100 yards of a major highway, you have much more exposure to uh, pollutants from the traffic than those that are further away. And those generally are environmental justice communities. So if we can use renewable energy, I know Barry is, is, is focusing on, well, not just any electricity, but renewable energy electricity, but I think the, the push to go to get rid of um, fossil fuel fired uh, powered vehicles, that timeline will mesh, I think, with the fact that it'll be so um, economical to for power companies to get their fuel from wind and solar versus uh, fossil fuels that uh, the economics will drive that and especially with the, the state mandates. So this will go hand in hand uh, because of the state climate initiatives. I think we're going to want to be aware of the wave that's coming in to then to enable our citizens to use they basically refuel because you know gas stations at some point the gas stations will have to also be able to refuel electric vehicles rather than gas powered vehicles so gas stations will have to be reinvented in a, in a few you know within a two or three decades and i for those who can't remember or they can't remember the the uh the the spanish flu of 1918 there's also there was a a similar revolution, it was a tipping point, really, in transportation in less than 20 years. Here's an example of a, uh, I, I saw this in a, in a Tufts Energy Conference presentation. In 1900, during the Easter parade, all but one vehicle that circled in red was horsepowered. 
in 20 in, in 1913 all but one vehicle except the one circled in red was um, not horse powered it was a horseless carriage if you will that happened in 13 years and by you know by 1920 uh, you really couldn't everyone was really you, you couldn't find a livery stable uh, and that whole uh, that whole economy great great greatly changed. Um, and so uh, cities can work with employers to encourage use of alternative modes of transportation, for example, because we not only have to not only electrify our vehicles, but have fewer vehicles on the road because you still have the congestion. Uh, there's still pollutants from just tires and brakes and things like that. So working from home will help reduce traffic, congestion, noise, and air pollution. And we've seen in this um, involuntary experiment in, in 2020, the coming of the Green Line extension uh, was scheduled for December of this year, maybe. It makes it important to plan access to that line. So we have to also work with, as a committee to, um, with, with uh, other groups, such as the Bike Commission of Walk Medford, who are working with how to, studying, how, how are people gonna to get to uh, the Green Line Extension if, if it's feasible for them to get to that? Uh, we are hoping that initiatives associated with the climate bill will have you know, effects on transportation and the future of work and commuting. Um, so obviously, in, for the municipal uh, area, you can continue to upgrade as, as you replace vehicles. Look ahead to um, replacing older polluting vehicles with electric if it's feasible. Obviously, the, the battery technology for for electric vehicles has to has to be um, go hand in hand with the mandate to go to electric. So that's going to be very important. Preference could be given to contractors to upgrade their fleets and uh, businesses as residential landlords could, could encourage employers in building management to support public transportation, uh, perhaps offering shuttle service, preferential parking access to uh, charging stations for electric vehicles. Um, there could be uh, more education on uh, the no idle policy, benefits of trading in older, older vehicles and using carpool and car share programs, uh, making a more welcoming environment for walkers, bikers, and bus riders, uh, having more vehicle charging stations in the public, uh, but also um, for commercial parking and employee parking. Some areas of the city are not well served by public transportation. Now in Lexington, they have a, a shuttle service that, that um, helps, especially elderly who don't wanna drive um, to um, use a shuttle. It's almost like the ride, if you will, but it's for that city. I don't know if that's ever been considered for Medford, but um, it's just one thing I throw out for, for discussion. And that's it for that presentation. So I'll throw up, throw up in the floor for discussion on that.
Alicia, do you know if it, it, it's ever been considered to have like a, a Medford uh, shuttle type of service or has that never been considered? I think we, there's been sort of like discussion about what's the best ways to move people around. Um, Tufts runs some shuttles. I've had um, little bits of conversation with them about like where their shuttles go and, and how that might overlap. How, where they could go to overlap with our needs around seniors and students that were very reliant on the MBTA in Medford. And I'm not sure if everybody in this community even knows, um, we provide school buses for our K through eight students, but our high school students are all expected to take the MBTA except for up in Fulton Heights. And that's only because there isn't um, service between Fulton Heights and the high school. Um, it's really a double, there are a lot of problems with it um, about with requiring kids to use the MBTA to get to and from school, especially costs for one thing is a huge burden. Um, but at, on the other hand, if you live up in Fulton Heights, you either take the one bus that runs at the one time or somebody to drive you. Um, other parts of the city, there are literally other options, even if you're not thrilled with them and you have to pay for them. Um, it's, there are a lot of, the, the difficulty is if you're in a municipality that's already served by the MBTA, um, finance, it's not cost effective. Like there, it is not possible to run a public transportation service and make money on it or have it pay for itself, right? If you charge riders enough to cover the cost of the equipment and the gas, the, the energy and the drivers and everything, it, it's too expensive and nobody will take it. Um, so there has to be subsidies and the communities that tend to run their own shuttles tend to have subsidies somewhere. Sometimes they're business oriented, right? Like there's motivation from the businesses to move people around, particularly when you see um, historic trolleys and stuff. There's a lot of um, uh, historic, uh, what's that word? Um, tourism sorry, going on. Um, or there are places where there are government subsidies for running shuttle systems for municipalities to do that. Um, but you can't get that subsidy if you are in an MBTA community um, because, the, because the money you, you should use the MBTA. Um, so it is a very difficult sort of issue. Um, do you know that there used to be electric trolleys that ran up in the Fulton Heights from Boston? Yes, that's crazy. Yep. There's a pole right right around the corner of my house that was for that. Yeah, I can't believe that they were able to get trolleys up that hill, but they were. Yeah, yeah. I, the, the trolley system that used to run out of Boston and through the cities is sort of amazing. Um, so it's, it's a difficult, it's a very difficult question. We've started to look into, um, looked at public charging, charging stations in public parking lots. And they wouldn't necessarily be free, but they would be available because part of the, the difficulty you run into with electric vehicles is um, if you don't have your own dedicated part off-street parking, do you does that mean you don't have your own dedicated charging? And where would you put charging? And where could you charge your vehicle? So if you live near a lot that had public charging, that they find that in places... Um, in like Cambridge that that incentivizes people to buy vehicles. I have actually come across Medford residents 
who don't have their own dedicated charging, don't their own dedicated parking spot, and still buy plug-in electric vehicles. Um, so we know that there is a desire out there for these sorts of things. Um, but but there are concerns. Um, some of the, the, the concerns that we heard here in South Medford are people don't want other people in the parking lots overnight, and they, they're concerned about bad behavior. Um, so, like, it's, it's a difficult situation. There may be incentives to have your own electrical system upgraded to allow for in-home um, charging. I guess it's, if it's not if you have if you if you have a house with a driveway, yeah. you know if you you can plug in your car. Like I have an outlet outside in my driveway, and before I put a, a full charger on, I could literally plug the car into that. I can drive into my parents' garage in New York and plug into the outlet where they you know plug in their lawnmower or whatever. It's not a problem. The issue is not having the driveway and not having the off-street parking, right? You live in an apartment, you live in a rental, or we have homes that don't have parking in Medford. So mm -hmm. that's the problem. Okay. I, I wonder if we could... Oh, go ahead, Josh. I'm, I, I'm wondering if we could develop a program where we, because I know of people, like you say, I know people who do the same thing, and almost something like a parking meter, the, the big deal is getting the utility from the house under the sidewalk to the street, you know, but I mean, if there was some kind of an incentive program, uh, like a pilot program, just to see if it's even feasible, and then we could even figure out, well, what kind of hurdles do you come across when you try to do something like that? It might be like, worth doing just to find out all those hurdles. You mean like for charging stations that are just in pub on the side of the street, public spaces? Well, I'm, I'm talking about somebody um, who, who has an apartment. It's a, they don't have any off-street parking, but they do have a parking space in front of their house. And, if, if, and um, you know, as an example, and I use this very, very loosely, please uh, realize I'm just talking loosely about this, but, you know, you could have a handicapped parking spot in front of your house if you are mm -hmm. handicapped. And I'm wondering if there might be a way to have a, an electric vehicle parking, um, you know, and I guess, and, and I realize there are a lot of hurdles to this, but, and, and it would be the electricity from your house and your electric meter would be what would be paying for this, but, but just the ability to get the wires under the, under the sidewalk and get them to the street and have your parking spot be in front of your house with a, with a charging station that might be just an interesting exercise to figure out, can this work? Is this, uh, is this feasible on a large scale? What kind of hurdles do you run into? Right, so Cambridge is looking at stuff like that, um, but they wouldn't be looking at it as private, dedicated to you on a public street. Um, I've also talked to Melrose, who's looking at doing charging stations on power poles, electricity poles, um, and they've been working with National Grid on that as well. Um, I will point out that if you have a handicapped parking spot in front of your house, it is not literally a private spot for you. It might effectively be because you're the only one on your block or in your area with a handicapped spot, a handicapped placard, but it's not reserved for just you. So there would definitely be significant pushback around trying to make a public side park street parking 
privately dedicated to an individual. Having sat on the traffic commission for a year now, I can tell you that that would make Medford explode. Having charging stations along the street, maybe even in residential areas, which would make them more effectively, well, only the people with electric vehicles would park there. That is certainly a question that's worth exploring. And the traffic commission has approved that we could put charging stations into like public parking lots like Car Park and South Medford and stuff like that. Then it becomes an issue of, of funding and time and um, what what are the like more of the details of the mechanism. Yeah, it's funny as I hear the plows go by, I realize that one of the one of the first hurdles would be you have alternate side of the street parking. So even if you put it on a on a on a power pole. One year, you won't be able to park on that side of the street if it's snowing, right? Mm -hmm. Right. Here's a crazier idea. What if you have, so you, is, is there a way to run lights to trees? Some cities have <coughs> lights run to trees in the downtown so they can put Christmas lights up. And what if you plug your charger into that? You know, there are just different ways to... That sounds pretty that. cool, actually. Did I just did I just invent something? Um, well, I just think that like you know you you've already got these wires going up the trees for the Christmas lights, like you say, and then you um, you just make the outlet a little, little bit lower and figure out a way of charging people for the electricity. Uh, that might be really simple. Yeah, you, you've worked with Massachusetts Electric Code, right? You tired me? Sorry. Both of you. That was, not that was sort of a, not a funny joke. Yeah, <laughs> I can me. see with those. That, that yeah, probably those. Those are not actually up to code when you think about it. Probably, probably. Not, not to different. mention the the one twenty charges will take like twelve hours. And I'm just saying, there are plenty of things that individuals could do that you know on their own that you may or may not notice. Um, but if it's the city, you must follow the codes and the ordinances. That's all there is to it. Um, so, yeah, they, there was a resident who was running an electric cord out of their house to charge their, their car along the side of the road. And um, they, it, they had to be told that that was against code and there were like trip hazards and so they wanted permission. They wanted a dedicated EV parking spot so they could continue to run their cord out of their house and down their front yard into their car. And before it really got to the traffic commission, I kind of said, don't we have some electric code issues with this? Like we can't like say that's okay. Right. And the, elect the electrical superintendent was like, you just really can't do that. Right? And if it had been different, if they had come saying, I want to pay to have a charging station installed at the edge of the road here. Um, then, of course, we ran into issues where I think they were renters and it was a private way and there was no sidewalk. So it just there was just no there was no way to go. There was nowhere to go with that. If somebody who lived on a public street with a sidewalk and appropriate space said, can I pay to have a public charging station in, installed in front of my house? That would be a really interesting question that we would have to figure out. So, 
Bob, your, your presentation, uh, you touched on something earlier, indoor air quality and outdoor air quality. So the idling of vehicles, it just made me think um, one thing for, not so much for, you know, partly for the education committee, but maybe for all the committees is to remember the pandemic, use that as part of the messaging. So did this, did the pandemic bring a new awareness of this particular topic? So if it's home energy efficiency, uh, it's more acute if people are working from home and that window's drafty and that's where their home office is. That would be an interesting thing to exercise to put each of these, you know, each committee through. You, you mentioned the, the green line extension and the idling and that's that's an example you know i thought of that more people sitting in their cars idling to just get some space you know get out of their house that that was something that you might notice more if you were working from home and there were more vehicles idling so that would be an interesting exercise to get people to think of each topic from the pandemic perspective um and, you know, hopefully we'll get out of this, but would be interesting that, you know, maybe we recall that. Remember during COVID when you, blah, your window was drafty and when you left for work, you didn't notice it. But when you were working from home, you did. So that makes the issue more acute. Just uh, just throwing that out there as a, as a little tool to think through things. Yeah, we did have an um, anti-idling initiative a few years ago before you were on the committee, Dave. Um, and uh, of course, with, with the electrification of vehicles, that won't be a problem anymore. Uh, so that's one of the other benefits of eventually electrifying or getting away from gas-fired, uh, gas-powered vehicles. Any other questions on transportation? All right, the last one, I'm going to another share one more thing, and this will be the educational forum. And I'm, uh, I'm working with Jessica on this subcommittee, as well as uh, Kathleen and Loretta. And we, we obviously would like input from all of you on um, how to uh, publicize or to put out to the public some of the ideas that each of the subcommittees is working on. Um, involving uh, and you know how to how to work with uh, and other environmental groups, other municipal groups, uh, you know, tough Tufts Energy Group. For education and outreach involving these issues, you know, in normal times we might be having presentations at the, for example, the high school or in-person workshops. But now we we have to do virtual presentations and workshops, which in in some areas, some issues are, or in some aspects are easier for people to to actually attend. We had one last November. It wasn't. Hugely attended, but um, it's, it was our first one in a series. We might also do, um, and Jess, Jessica was 
advise me on this, do educational content where you don't have to go to a workshop, but you actually just find some things that we post and some, so the subcommittees could work up some, um, well, what do you do as a, as a, as a, uh, as a resident in Medford if you wanna do this? Uh, do we have any recommendations? Uh, that, that type of thing, some, some, uh, some outreach tools on, on that. Instead of like, you know, we, we cannot go to outdoor events uh, that we used to go to but, and hand out flyers, but we could have uh, you know, electronic flyers. Uh, I also mentioned already the Tufts Energy Group. We are strengthening the relationship between Medford City and Tufts. We also could be uh, coordinating with other municipal groups such as the Bike Commission, Walk Medford. Um, if we have special requests, we could also assist with that. Um, perhaps Curtis Tudin or the Environmental Club at the high school could be um, work, uh, we could work with them. They, I know they have their um, June event, but there could be other uh, activities coordinating with the public school system. And uh, then of course, help publicize and attend the, um, not only the annual, the Tufts Energy Conference, but um, any Earth Day events and maybe this um, City Nature Challenge is sort of in the same time period as well as Arbor Day. And then uh, we'll probably have another fall symposium event after the, uh, and one thing we haven't talked about yet is the Harvest Your Energy Festival. Um, maybe build up an inventory of informational flyers, presentations, and videos, links to other sites. Uh, do it in, in coordination with the uh, other subcommittees. That's it. Uh, Alicia, do we have anything more on the Harvest Your Energy Festival? or any other uh, events that we used to always do? Um, we are really not planning yet. We're sort of trying mm -hmm. to hope that this vaccination effort goes really well, and then we can go to some vague semblance of normal life next fall. Um, but I think everybody feels like it's a little premature to plan. All the, all the big planning efforts of the city are going into vaccination efforts. If we could only just get vaccine delivered to the city and not just to private entities. Um, our health department is ready to do mass vaccinations if they got, if they were given vaccine to do it Well, we're, I guess we're cautiously optimistic that maybe we could have a in-person gathering in October but I guess it's too soon to actually put it on the calendar, you're saying. Well, I would say that I think we're cautiously optimistic that we could do an outdoor gathering in the, in the fall. Mm -hmm. um, and my hope is that we would, we don't have to plan so early that, like we like to get started in April really to get stuff moving, but we don't have to. And it would be helpful to see the farmer's market move forward and some of the like spring events because that'll give us a much better feel for what we can and can't do. Um, and whether or not we can organize an event 
that has an indoor option if it's if the weather is inclement. Um, that's going to be a while before we'll know that. Okay. Any comments? Uh, I guess we're sort of, uh, besides publicizing the Tufts Energy Conference, um, we would welcome inputs from the various subcommittees on any anything that we would pass out at in-person events like fairs or whatever that we could potentially post on our website if people even look at our website, but that would be one area that we'd have something readily available we could point people to. So we, we welcome input from the other committees on uh, content that we would normally put in, in, in you know, uh, actual physical flyer. Uh, any other uh, input from the uh, Jessica or uh, Kathleen on this subcommittee? No, I think um, I'm... Go ahead, Kathleen. Go ahead, Kathleen. I was, I was thinking um, you said not flyers. I guess if, if we did do flyers, maybe um, an assembly of, and maybe it's already done, Alicia would know on the um, like the police station and the library and um, what energy efficient. I, I think the police is like near net zero or net zero and maybe do some explanations of what that means. And their, their energy um, consumption or what it's projected to be. And then maybe compare it to like, other buildings, something like that. Um, Maybe I'm missing yeah. the mark. <laughs> no, but there, I mean, there, so I, we definitely want to get more information out there about the library being net zero and the low energy police station. Um, there'll definitely be more information out about the library as it comes to open. Part of its lead requirements will include some educational components with it. Plus it's a library, they like educating people. Um, the police station is all electric and it's low energy, um, but it's not net zero unless we were to buy like carbon offsets. And then we can all argue about whether or not that makes something net zero. Um, whereas the library, the expectation is we're going to produce the energy that it uses on site. Um, getting information about out, about those would be great. Um, if you, um, if anybody uses social media, taking a look at any of the channels, uh, the Go Green Medford Facebook, the Twitter, we don't use quite as much, but we could. Um, we do have had some student um, staff using the Instagram account as well. Um, We've started promoting some of our business efforts and some of our shop local on these, as well as some of the other uh, environmental things. We are part of a stormwater collective, so we get outreach on stormwater stuff, like low salt and all, um, that we can just push straight out that we do sometimes. But it would be great for us to get more information. And um, Lauren Lasky actually still posts stuff on recycling as Go Green Medford, which is particularly helpful. Um, but we'd be it would be great to have more additional 
um, content to push out to people on some more environmental topics if any of the committees wanted to put stuff together and either post it directly or if you're more comfortable sending it to our staff um, and we can um, post it for you. Um, Alicia, when we were talking about the library uh, several years ago, we talked about like a demonstration wall where there'd be like, uh, you know, an inverter and things like that. Is that still part of the plan? Is there anything like that in there? Like, you know, showing some of the mechanical? You know, I don't think it's, if anything, it would be signage about it. And I actually have on my calendar, I think next week, a meeting about educational components, like for the green aspects of the, of the library. Um, we sort of like, there was an early work, now they're in construction. Now we're really starting to think about opening next fall. So we're starting to think about some of that educational pieces that'll be part of it. Um, so I can certainly ask about it and, and bring that up again. But that's, that's the meeting, I think it's next week that I'm supposed to go to with Barbara, the, our library director, and our lead consultant and the architect. Um, speaking of outreach about the library, you may all just be interested to know, see if I can get this right. The US library building commissioners are putting a, publishing a book on green and environmental green libraries. And one of the chapters is being written about Massachusetts and it's predominantly about the Medford library. Um, our, like the, the the consultants, the group that's writing that chapter is basically doing a large portion of it as a case study of the Medford Library. And our architects have provided them with some interesting visuals that they literally created for the book. Um, they were like, no, you don't need to create us new visuals. And they were like, no, no, we, we would like to get some more renderings and stuff. Um, let me see if I can put my hands on those and I'll circulate them to the committee too. So it was, it was great they interviewed me uh, for the book and our architects and stuff. So it's pretty exciting. Uh, I had a suggestion. So with social distancing, I'm popping something in the chat. Um, Montgomery County, which is outside of DC, uh, they have, they're doing a climate action plan and they have a virtual open house. Um, so, you know, how do you have an open house, be social distance? So this is a version that's online when you get a chance, check it out. You just scroll down and click on the image that looks like a room. I think it's brilliant because you click on suggestion box and a suggestion thing comes up. You click on different panels and material comes up that's, that leads to their climate action plan. But I don't know about you folks, but I'm a plaque reader. So if there's a historical plaque, I'm gonna pull over the car and make like the whole family read the thing. Um, I just, I just always do that. So I don't know if there's a plaque in front of the library or the police station that, that shows the net zero, you know, the, the, the environmental features. But even if there isn't, there might be a way to quickly, you know, relatively quickly, cheaply do it virtually. So you could have, you know, three, four buildings or, or sites in Medford <clears throat> that, you know, came online in the last two years. Um, and have that virtual plaque if there's not a physical plaque, you know, because there's often, if it's a lead building, you got the plaque, but it doesn't tell much. So that's one suggestion. 
that is a very cool uh, open house. Don't you space. love it? It's yeah. it's so cool because you can update it easily, yeah. and it's just it's so well done. Can you send the link for that? Yeah, it's in the chat. I can oh, follow up. Yeah, but, I can but, follow up by email. Yeah, that would be great. But you know, that's just so easy to take a photo of the police station and pop it on there. You know, I I don't know how long it took to design that room, but um, and Alicia, you were talking about the architects having the the renderings, and I'm sure there's plenty of material that's done for that book that could links to link to something like that. Um, just a thought. I, I'm just so nerd nerding out over this thing. I think it's really well done. That's ridiculous. It's, it's the American Library Association book on sustainable libraries. Cool. There's going to be a significant case study on Medford. And I will. Guys, I, I know we should wrap up this meeting. I was going to say I could um, show you some of the um, images that they uh, created. Mind if I share this one quickly? And I can. So this is a, an image, and then the letters all go with the text that talk about the solar and the efficient heating system and the stormwater capture sort of thing, the trees and um, some of the lighting and reflectivity and stuff like that. Uh, the insulation. Kind of cool. They they made this image in order to go with some of the, the text that they had. Or oh, hundred percent LED fixtures minimizing electrical demand. Um, or uh, electric vehicle charging on site is one of them. Um, the fact that there's no um fossil fuels on site because of the 100% electrical system, native plants, daylighting, reflective heat surfaces, perforated sun shades at floor to ceiling windows, reduced glare by diffusing light. There's a lot of fun stuff here. This library is gonna be so amazing. Sorry. All right, excellent. Um we just have less than five minutes. Does anyone have any new business that we haven't covered so far? If not, I'll entertain a motion to adjourn. Motion to adjourn. Okay, I'll uh, second it. I guess, does anyone uh, object to that motion? Otherwise, we'll, we'll assume it's by unanimous. Nana's consent. Um, for next month, then will it be March one? Uh, we'll go more into uh, the, the tree uh, plan. Uh, maybe uh, obviously it'll be closer to the Tufts Energy Conference, and then subcommittees will be update their activities as usual. And if there's any uh, other special um, presentation that anyone thinks of that we should consider for next month, let me know. Or if Alicia, you have any city of business that would uh, occupy part of the uh, meeting time, let, let us know as well. Okay, thank you very much. See you in March.
Thank you. Take care. Thank you Have all a great for week, coming. everybody. Bye. Thank you.